I don't have anything in the way of announcements right now, but uh, in our prayers, uh, just a number of people from the congregation traveling, so just uh, travelers, if you will, and uh, the uh, certainly continue to pray for God to break the cycle of COVID in our area and, and across the nation, around the world. And it appears that there's a few new viruses and a couple of old viruses sticking their nose out now. So uh, I think it's just time to say, God, bring healing to, uh, our, to, to the people, to the world, and, and ask God to uh, bring healing to those that are near us that have been sick. Uh, so let's pray together. Father, we come this morning. You give us the confidence to approach your throne because of what Christ did on the cross for us. You've opened the the door, so to speak, and you've told us that we can approach you with confidence for your mercy and for your grace. And that's what we do this morning. We ask for your mercy and your grace over these situations uh, that have come up in our in our locally as well as globally. Uh, these different viruses that are out of the COVID, uh, uh, the different ones that are, are coming up recently, we ask, Lord, that you would break the cycle and block them. Bring healing. Bring wisdom to those who are ministering uh, to the health needs. Bring wisdom to those who are developing the medicines uh, that we can uh, come up with a successful way of, of dealing with these viruses. And Father, for those that are traveling, we ask that you would keep them safe. Allow them to enjoy their travels, their destinations, and their return home. And to keep them safe, uh, bring them back to us. Healthy and strong, Lord. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open our minds through your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, cause us to... Just uh, see clearly some things that you would show us, each of us. Not, one, not any one of us is at the exact same place in our walk, but yet your word can minister to all of us at the same time. And so we ask, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would meet us, meet our needs, open our hearts, open our minds, cause us to be the men and women of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing in the book of Daniel, and uh, we're in chapter 5 today, and uh, we left off you know, in chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar making, a, I think, a very powerful statement. Uh, in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, he knows this very well because of what he has been through in the last several years of his life. And uh, instead of you know, a sense of resentment or, or anything, there's this sense of praise. What, how awesome God is, what he's done, and he's done it to me. Nebuchadnezzar is actually you know, saying, this has happened, and he's humbled me, and now I can come and praise the Lord, exalt Him, honor Him. And so, keep that in mind as we, as we look ahead here, because we're going to move ahead in chapter 5, uh, oh, 23, 24 years 
after the death of Nebuchadnezzar and enter his grandson, Belshazzar, who uh, takes the throne uh, along with an uncle who is out fighting battles in different places. And so he's the one on the throne in Babylon. And the time is 539 B.C. And uh, this grandson, Belshazzar, uh, is nothing like his... He, he has no... Uh, let's put it this way. He didn't learn anything from Grandpa. He he just lost it with that. In fact, all the, the men in the throne, really, from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, there were a few kings, uh, were poor uh, in quality in the sense of of, uh, of their lives and, and what they accomplished and, and, and all. And Belshazzar is no different than what has been sitting on the throne since Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so let me pick up a chapter 5. I just want to read the first four verses. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that uh, had been taken out of the temple of the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines. Now, he's saying all of them took their turn, in other words, that is at this great feast. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. He saw nothing in these cups that meant anything other than a sense of how powerful he is by being able to take the 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 goblets and the and the and the the, the things of the temple and abuse them. And, and lay them before his God in a sense of praise and his gods in a sense of praise and worship. And, and he's basically what he's doing is he's thumbing his nose at the Hebrew God. And he wants nothing to do with that. He, and we'll see as we get deeper into this, he knows about the Hebrew God. And so, uh, here he is. He's, he's throwing this great feast. He's mocking God. He's got a thousand of his lords, their wives and their concubines. So that means the the, the women that that the men use in in place of or in addition to their wives. And so it's it's a massive. I, I, I hesitate to use the word, but orgy is the word that I found in most of the commentaries. Uh, and so it's uh, an abomination. And as soon as he drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, honored uh, bronze and iron and wood and stone, it says, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it, as it wrote. The king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. 
and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. His uncle being one ruler, him himself being another, and he says this guy would be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. When it says his color changed, he turned it. it, it, it the idea is, is by the phrasing here and, and the thought, the way it's put together, is that he turned gray. His blood left him. Okay, he's in a panic. Now I, I can understand that if you were uh, all the you know all of a sudden in the midst of your great feast and you're honoring yourself and 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 telling you know looking important to everybody and and drinking wine from the goblets of the temple of the Hebrew people and honoring your own gods and all these things that he's doing and then all of a sudden this hand appears and it says it writes on the pla- it, 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 it's writing on the plaster by the way across from the lampstand. The implication is that that's the lampstand from the temple. He's totally abusing everything that God has made holy in the Hebrew culture. And the writing on the wall is on the plaster that's covering, and, and plaster was used in certain places, but not all over the place. And I think he picked the wall of plaster because it, I believe it was etched right into the plaster. And so... Here we have Belshazzar, you know, uh, you know, he's having this great party. And, and, and by the way, side note here, there is a war going on. His uncle is the one that's fighting it. The person that's being fought is, uh, is an emperor by the name of Darius. He's of the Medo-Persian Empire. He's very powerful. He's been very successful at conquering big chunks of the world and carrying up the Babylonian kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar put together. And he is literally approaching Babylon. And what does is, what is he, he uh, uh, you know, Belshazzar do? He, he throws a party. And And... Obviously, apparently, you know, a, a drunken party. And you would think, gosh, he, he would be starting to prepare things. But he had a security within the framework of how the city was built. I don't know how many of you have read or studied anything about Babylon, but it was an amazing architectural feat. It was a huge city. They even had land within the city walls that could be cultivated. And, and grow things. So there was a, a sense of sustainability. The Euphrates River ran through the city. And so they had a supply of water. They had a storehouse full of food and grain. They figured, uh, most historians figured that, that they could last probably 20 years under a siege. Well, most sieges would have given up by that time. And so, you know, they, they figured it, you know, uh, it was they were really prepared for this kind of a thing. Then not only did they have this this preparedness within the city, they had two huge walls that surrounded the city. And these walls, gosh, you you, you get a, a, a variable of, of different heights. 
but somewhere between 80 to 100 foot high walls. And possibly higher in some places with guard houses along them. And there was two, so there was a, a closer wall and then a further outer wall. These walls were so wide that you could run two chariots across them without any problem at all. So, you know, we have Belshazzar here resting in the reality of the defense of his city. Plus, he does have a, a, an army, a city army, if you will, that's there to defend the guardhouses and all this. So, he just assumes that there's no way that he can be touched. And so, as if in a sense to taunt Darius, he throws this huge party. And like I said, to thumb his nose at the Hebrew God, he uses those things from the temple in his party to drink and to praise and to honor his gods. So that's the setting that we have here. I think that, you know, basically Belshazzar just wanted a diversion from what was going on outside the walls and maybe to create a diversion for the people as well so that he could, uh, you know, just keep their attention and keep their, their, their support. So, uh, no fear or respect for the Hebrew God and quite candidly, no fear or respect for Darius. The, the hand, this is, you know, Talk about a, a something to uh, stir up a, the party and, and bring something to a, an end quickly. Writing on the wall, and and he calls all his wise men, and they're unable to interpret. Basically, not that they when they say they can't read it, meaning we can't make sense out of this. The words were words that was known to them. There's four words that were written, and they knew the words. But putting it together, they couldn't make any sense out of it. And so, uh, you know, the, the queen, and it's actually the queen mother, which means it's, the, it's Belshazzar's mother or possibly, and more likely, his grandmother, wife of Nebuchadnezzar, still alive. She says, I know what you can do. Belshazzar, there is a person in the kingdom that can help. He's right here in the city. He's got. He, she doesn't put all this into the scripture. We don't have it all, but she might say he's gotten old because about this time Daniel would be eighty plus years old. But he says, she says, call him, call him. Now I'm not going to read it all, but he calls Daniel to come in and interpret. And Daniel comes, as you read on, starting with verse 13, Daniel comes and, and uh, he's, he's offered a reward, the same reward. To the purple, purple cloth was an amazingly expensive material. It was made uh, uh, from a very uh, fine linen, dyed in a purple dye that comes from a mollusk from the sea. And, and, and it's drained of its, of its little protective poison, if you will. And, and, and that is the purple, the stuff to make the purple dye. It made the, the material extremely expensive. And only royalty and wealthy would have it. And so this is a prized robe, if you will. It's a, it's a special gift. 
And not only that, but a gold chain, which would be a symbol of honor and authority. And, and you, know, you know, this will all be yours. And, and I'll make you third ruler. In verse 17, you'll find as you read it uh, that Daniel basically says, No thanks. Keep your gifts. Don't need them. But I will do the interpretation for you. But first he goes through a whole, you know, starting with verse 18, I think going on through 2021, 20, he makes a whole history lesson in reference to Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and the things that had happened and had changed in Neb's life and all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know this. Verse 22, he says, you know these things. You know this. But you've chosen to ignore it. This is what's important here. They knew, he knew what was really right to do. He says, you know this. And the idea of know is you have basic understanding knowledge. You know how this comes together and, and what it means. And you are cho- choosing to ignore it. So, it's very clear that he's accusing Belshazzar here of, of making a choice to ignore the things of God. And the teachings that he would have picked up on as the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he basically says you've done the opposite. So let's get to the writing. And in verse 24, then from his presence the hand was sent and that writing was inscribed, it says. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. So just four words. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered. The days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. The word many means numbered. Numbered and numbered again. Okay? In other words, uh, Tekel, it says, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Now, what it is, is that he's saying, use the word number and number and weighed. But the interpretation is putting it together. Daniel says, this is what God is telling you. You've been weighed and in the process you've been found wanting. You are lacking. And your kingdom, is, and finally the last word, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Kingdom's divided. It's given, it's given up, given away. You don't have it. You're not going to have it anymore. The Medes and the Persians who are about to knock at the door, it's going to be theirs. I think that would be enough that I would probably stay gray. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Daniel was, by the way, rewarded. And Daniel did receive it, but he didn't he didn't want it to be understood that he was giving the interpretation for the reward. He, he didn't want that, but he did receive the reward. And then in verse 30, it says the end of Babylon. It says that, that, that Belshazzar was killed and Darius takes over. It doesn't give any of the details of the battle. 
And history has an interesting picture of it and, there, and some, restor, some references to it in ancient history. Darius knew he was going to have a long siege. He was prepared for it with food and, and, and manpower. But he also knew that the, the palace of, of Babylon, maybe he had been there at one point in time in his life, was basically impregnable. But there was one flaw in this building. It was built in such a way to allow the, the river Euphrates to flow through the city. Now, you'd think that, that you know, somebody would say, well, yeah, we'll just sail in that way or something. They built over the river in such a way that you, 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 there was no way to get a, a, a boat full of anything through there. It was not used for commerce. It was strictly there for water. And so, what Darius did was he started building, dealing, uh, building diversion trenches from the, 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 uh, the north of the side of the, the building, from the river, and started diverting the water into the desert. And by the time he was done with his trenches, the water had come down and completely dried up. In other words, he dammed the, the, the Euphrates River and, and diverted the water. And when it was finally down, they literally came through on the riverbed uh, on, on dry ground and took the city. So, you can see in the midst of this, God's hand over all of this. And we're still dealing with this picture in, in, in Daniel. God is sovereign. He's not going to be mocked. He, you know, and, and so, uh, he, he lets all of this go through and happen and then turns around and, and turns the kingdom over to Darius. The thing that happened as I was going through this, was there was nothing that stood out or jumped out at me particularly startling other than coming back to King Nebuchadnezzar. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. Belshazzar did the opposite. And I was looking at that and thinking, you know, there, there is a question for all of us in this. If somebody were to look at our lives, who would they say that we honored? Now, some people try to get it through with bumper stickers and, and belt buckles and hats with Jesus saves and a lot of things. And I'm not, by the way, I have all of those things. So don't, you know, I'm not putting them down. But what I'm saying is, you know, your lifestyle is what reveals it. Belshazzar's lifestyle was reprobate. He had no concern whatsoever for God. Even though he had a, a grandfather who I believe, based on what we read and most commentators agree, was saved. And so, that tells us a number of things. One is we, don't, we can't pass our, our, our faith down. Each generation, each uh, of our children have to come up with the faith on the, and, and, and we can instruct them, we can put it before them, but at some point, they have to make a choice. Bill says, I had chosen no. 
So, I, I just want you to get a hold of that. That the, the, the picture is here is, is what are we presenting in our lives that shows we honor God? Not that it's going to necessarily change anything. It, it may not. Who knows? It might impact your family. It may not. But the reality is, is that we are responsible to be people of God wherever we go, a messenger of God, a, a, an ambassador for God, and leave it in God's hands as to what that will accomplish. Because God is sovereign. And as, as I was going through that, I was thinking about uh, communion as well, and, and communion being a time of, of self-examination. I don't know how many of you put it all together all the time, but there are, when Paul speaks of communion in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he writes, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I thought, examine ourselves. What does does that entail? And the idea would be, you know, Belshazzar was examined and found wanting. Okay, <laughs> what what does it entail? Is there anything lacking in my uh, spiritual walk? And I I, I'm, I I know the answer to that, and, I, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into any detail, but. I have a, a book here. It's called uh, The Pursuit of God. It's not a, a big read. But quite candidly, it's a heavy read. It's by A.W. Tozer. And I was reading in it, and there's a, a chapter uh, entitled uh, Removing the Veil. And... What he's speaking of, let me go to Matthew and just read this to you. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is being escorted to the uh, take, he's pulling this cross to the to the crucifixion, and then uh, he falls, and a man, uh, Simon of, of Cyrene, is, is picked up to, to you know pick up the cross and, and carry it for Jesus. I mean, Jesus couldn't carry it any further, and uh, they, they while Jesus is on the cross, they they were yelling at him and mocking him and and saying all sorts of of uh, things to him. One of the things they said is, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. The interesting thing was, is that the reason Christ was on the cross was that was the only way they were going to get saved. By staying on the cross was their, was their salvation, so to speak. And so, they, they fully did not understand. They chose to ignore. And Jesus pointed out a number of times, you are choosing to be this way. And, and earlier in Matthew, he says, woe unto you, seven times different things. 
in reference to what you're doing and ignoring and, and choosing to do that is wrong. They continued, He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakatani, this is my God, my God, who hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once uh, ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. He cried out, according to John, his last words on the cross. It is finished. And the word cried out implies it was something that was heard loudly. It is finished. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. Tombs were opened. And it goes on. What an amazing picture. But what I want to draw your attention to was the veil was torn from top to bottom. And, 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 and in our communion song that we're going to sing in just a moment, uh, it says, uh, the, it says, the earth quake, uh, here we go. Now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as the maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the victory cry. I started thinking about this. Tozier makes a really good argument about we are even even as saved people, we are willing to kind of stand back and look through the torn curtain rather than understand that it's an invitation to come into the Holy of Holies and not only to visit but to dwell there. And I want to suggest to you this morning is that, you know, it's a, this, this question about who am I honoring really is a personal question. And if I take time to sit back and, and examine and look and I suppose I could take a look at my checkbook and, or my debit statement and you, you might be surprised at some of the things that you look at and you say, I don't know whether that honored God or not. I didn't think about it. How much of our lives are we to, to put before the throne? 10%? 20%? Well, Nebuchadnezzar found out. 100%. Belshazzar didn't catch that. In fact, he, he went the opposite way with it. As we examine ourselves, it's who am I honoring? And the question would be, have I gone through the veil? Do I, do I go through the veil and stay? 
or just visit quickly. <laughs> you know, because it's it's just a little too holy for me. Share an article with you. During the lifetime of Jesus, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. The temple was the place where animal sacrifices were carried out and the worship according to the law of Moses was followed faithfully. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 1 through 9 tells us that the temple uh, uh, veil separated the holy of holies, the earthly dwelling place of God's presence, from the rest of the temple where men dwelt. This signified that man was separated from God by sin. Isaiah explains that in chapter 59. Only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond this veil once a year. And then to enter into God's presence for all of Israel and make atonement for their sins. Solomon's temple was massive. And uh, it had the, the, the curtain there in it. And, and the, the, the temple that Herod had built was massive. And it, and it had the, the, but it still kept this compartment in the middle of it that was the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, and the Outer Temple. And the Holy of Holies was blocked by the veil. The size and the thickness of the veil make the events occurring at the cross at the moment of Jesus' death much more momentous. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His Spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what do we make of this? What significance does this torn veil have for us today? Above all, the tearing of the veil at the moment of Jesus' death dramatically symbolized that His sacrifice, the shedding of His own blood, was a sufficient atonement for sins. It signified that now the way into the Holy of Holies was open for all people, for all time, both Jew and Gentile. How do we become able to enter in? We confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ and that God raised Him from the dead. Jesus conquered our sins. When Jesus died, the veil was torn and God moved out of the place never again to dwell in a temple made with human hands. God was through with the temple and its religious system. And the temple and Jerusalem were left desolate in 70 A.D. when it was destroyed. Just as Jesus prophesied in Luke chapter 13, as long as the temple stood, it signified the continuation of the Old Covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9 verses 8 through 9 refers to the age that was passing away and the New Covenant was being established, according to Hebrews chapter 8. The veil was symbolic of Christ Himself as the only way to the Father. John chapter four, verse chapter fourteen, verse six. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is indicated by the fact that the high priest had to enter the Holy of Holies through the veil. Now Christ is our superior high priest. And as believers in His finished work, we partake of His better priesthood. We can now enter the Holy of Holies through Him. Hebrews chapter 10 says that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. Here we see the image of Jesus' flesh being torn for us 
just as He was tearing the veil for us. The profound significance of the tearing of the veil is explained in glorious detail in Hebrews. The things of the temple were shadows of things to come, and they all might, uh, they ultimately point us to Jesus Christ. He was the veil to the holy of holies, and though and through his death, the and uh, through his death, the faithful now have free access to God. The veil in the temple was a constant reminder that sin renders humanity unfit for the presence of God. The fact that the sin offering was offered annually and countless other sacrifices repeatedly daily showed graphically that the sin could not truly be atoned for or erased by mere animal sacrifices. Jesus Christ, through his death, has removed the barriers between God and man, and now we may approach him with confidence and boldness. How do we honor Christ? We Go through the veil. The veil of Christ at this point. But we, what it is is that we start to create, ask God to create in us a desire to long to be with Him in the Holy of Holies. I think that's a reasonable prayer request. And as we examine our hearts, it, it, the idea is to say, where am I standing in relationship to that? In other words, am I, am I making progress towards my, my goal to be in the presence of God continuously? What things are interfering with it? That's what Paul wanted the people to do. I want you to examine your hearts and, and see where you stand with God every time you take communion. And it has nothing to do with, oh, I found some sin in my life, I can't take communion. That's not what it's saying. It's saying examine your heart and know where you're standing with God so that you can confess before the throne and, and say, God, help me. Through the blood of Christ, I come to you. Through His flesh, I come to you. Through the veil of Christ, I come to you. We want to honor and praise the one true God. We do it by coming to Christ. Not only receiving Him, but desiring to honor Him day in and day out. Communion is a chance to, uh, every week that we take communion is an opportunity to remind us of that. Some people say, why do we take communion every week? Because we believe it's an intricate part of worship. It tells us in Acts that as often as they gathered together, they broke bread together, which is a symbol of both a meal, but it's also a symbol of, of communion. And so... This morning as we share in communion, self-examination. And uh, as we sing, uh, you know, uh, let the words of the songs even, uh, you know, ask the Lord to say, use this song to, to pinpoint for me that I might worship you stronger that I might walk with you closer. And understand that none of us will arrive while we live in the flesh. It will always be a struggle. Romans chapter 7 talks about that. Romans chapter 7 ends, Wretched man that I am, 
What am I going to do? Oh, Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. And then all of a sudden you have verse 1 of chapter 8. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's share communion. Let's come up and sing the song. And uh, there you are. <laughs> uh, let's come up and sing the song. And uh, we have both communions, uh, the, 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 the cup and, and uh, the packet, whichever one you want to use. And uh, we'll share at the end of the song. So you'll come up and, and re- pick up the communion yourself. And uh, we'll share in just a moment. Oh, 
Again, reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is writing, I received from the Lord that which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us share the bread. In the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Father, we again thank You for these emblems that represent what You have done for us. That You came in the flesh. That You physically died on the cross. That You poured out Your blood for us. With Your sinless life, purchasing for us eternal life. Eternal life for all who confess You and believe in You. We ask, Lord, that we would leave this place today with a stronger intention to walk with You to glorify You in our daily lives. We worship You. We thank You for all that You have done for us. All that You are doing even now. And all that is yet to come. We worship You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please? We have refreshments in the back if you would like. And uh, if you can stay in fellowship for a little while, that would be great.